0: I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 24 to 30 this morning. Marley read uh, Matthew's account of it earlier, and um, uh, the reason I did that is we're going to reference it a couple of times. There's a few differences in that account and this one. Uh, Nothing major, but some, some things we need to look at. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And we're going to find here in our straightway series of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus lays out three aspects of saving faith. Honestly, anytime you see a miracle of Jesus, you could use this outline um, because it's what these people experience, salvation. And um, we're going to find Jesus here this morning, beginning in verse 24. He's headed outside of Israel and what to date is a country of Lebanon, Uh, From the context of this passage, it seems that Jesus wanted to have some additional private time with his disciples, uh, free from the demands of the crowds in Galilee and Israel. And uh, here a Gentile woman comes to Jesus. She's distraught over the physical and spiritual condition of her daughter. Uh, We've seen this type of interaction a number of times before in the first six chapters of Mark. A parent who is got a child who's suffering and they're at the end of the rope. Sometimes it might be the individual themselves uh, that feels that way with their own health struggle. And in those uh, events, we've seen Jesus miraculously and, and with compassion Intervene so that they might experience salvation, not just a salvation from their temporal affliction, but also their um, greater, even spiritual need. And we're gonna see that again this morning. In this miracle, Jesus teaches us three important truths about the faith that does experience his salvation. And so let's read that beginning in verse 24. It says, and from thence he arose and he went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon and he entered into a house and would have no man know it, But he could not be hid, for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meat it is not right to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And then he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Three aspects here of saving faith for for not just unbelievers, people who haven't yet come to Christ for salvation, but even for us who have, for believers, uh, how we continue in that saving faith this morning. Number one, saving faith, always, it always recognizes a need. We find that in verse 24, in the beginning of verse 25, and verse 24 sets the stage for this account. It tells us where Jesus is. He's, He's not in Israel. He's gone out of the country. He's in a house where it's his desire that nobody knows where he is. I don't know why. We're not told why. Maybe it's he needs some rest. That is a rare thing. He got a little, a little brief time of it uh, there in the last few chapters. Um, maybe it, it is for some private teaching time with his disciples. Uh, they need that. If they're going to continue on uh, in, in the ministry he's called them to, uh, they need that private interaction in a smaller uh, group, smaller context, whatever it is. It's his desire that his time there be free from interruption. But as we've seen before, that doesn't usually happen for Jesus. And verse 25 uh, tells us it didn't happen. A local woman who had a daughter with an unclean spirit is how it's uh, given in the King James. In in the Greek, it means literally an immoral spirit. Uh, She had heard about Jesus. And she came to him there. That's what verse 25 tells us. Back in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, when one of Jesus' big teaching, uh, teaching episodes, we're told that people from this area, from Phoenicia, from Tyre and Sidon, had come to Galilee, and they, they had heard what Jesus taught. They, they had seen the miracles that Jesus did. I don't know if this lady was one of them, uh, but... If not, she had heard from secondhand accounts what Jesus was capable of. That's what verse 25 tells us, that Jesus uh, could help people with a need by meeting their need. Did she have a need? She had a pretty definite need, didn't she? A daughter who had a a desperate need, a daughter who had been afflicted with an unclean spirit, and we've seen that a couple of times here uh, in the first six chapters of Mark. We've seen the spiritual and physical torment That happens when somebody is uh, demon-possessed and how that affects a person's life, but also the life of those who love them, their family members. No one needed to tell this lady that she had a need. It it was clearly evident. And so here's something for us right away. Uh, When it comes to us recognizing our need for salvation and trusting Christ as Savior, needs like this in our life are a good thing. They might not feel good at the time, but they're a good thing. We, We can never experience saving faith without first admitting that we have a need. If you have no need for salvation, well then you don't need a Savior. But do we have a need? We do. Every single person who's been born, every person brought into this world has has this need. Because we are all sinners, we need a Savior from our sins. Romans 6.23 tells us that the just penalty of a holy God for our sins is death. Physical, uh, eternal, spiritual death, separation from God, And we all need salvation from that and from our sins, and God graciously provides that to us through a personal relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. So the very first step for an unbeliever to experience salvation, experience saving faith, is to recognize that they have a need. Well, what about believers? (laughs) We've done that, right? Well, I would say the vast majority of us here and those watching uh, have trusted Christ as our Savior. We've been born again. We did recognize our need and we came to him in repentance and and faith and and received him as our Savior. So once we've been born again, do we stop being needy? No, no. I mean, so we're not. And we shouldn't stop recognizing our need. If, If that humility is how we came to faith in Christ, well, it's surely how we continue to grow in our faith in Christ. I mean, he took care of our greatest most uh, monumental, eternal need. Um, And I think we can all honestly admit that that we've got continuing needs. And if he took care of that, he can take care of our continuing needs as well. So the the same way that it is good at times for, uh, even though it might be painful, might be a difficult circumstance, even though it uh, it is all of that, it is a good thing when it brings us to faith in Christ. Uh, The same way for a Christian, Uh, needs can be a good thing for us. (laughs) When God allows some circumstance in our life, it might be painful, not something we signed up for, not something that we want to go through, but when he allows that into our life um, so that we can recognize our neediness and then move to dependence on him, that's a good thing. When I was in Bible college, they used to remind us all the time that, um, look, you cannot preach You cannot pastor, you can't serve the Lord in any kind of capacity or with any kind of Holy Spirit uh, power uh, without recognizing your need for the Lord, without uh, being dependent on God. You need him. And that's true not just of pastors, but any of us who would serve the Lord in in various ways. Uh, But it's so much more than even just serving the Lord. I mean, the reality is that you and I can't get dressed in the morning. We can't tie our shoes, we literally we can't pour ourselves a bowl of cereal without the Lord. I mean, he's the one that keeps our heart beating. He's the one that fills our lungs with breath. I think sometimes we forget that. I'm so glad um, and, and, and I'm very um, grateful to God for his grace and allowing me to be born here in the United States of America or a, a free people, amen? Yeah. And um, at least right now, <laughs> we need to keep working that way. But um, but I think sometimes in our American frontier, pioneer, independent spirit, we can, we can allow that to transfer over into our spiritual lives. That's not a good thing because we need to remain dependent on, on God. We have to recognize our neediness. And sometimes God will graciously allow things into our life as believers that aren't fun and that will um, show us in a marked way our our need for him in order to bring us back to dependence on him. When we go to him for help at those times, we need to realize it's, it's not bugging God. God doesn't find it annoying for you to recognize your need and take it to him. That's actually how he wants you to live. Your life, your Christian life, all the days of your Christian life—it's actually how we worship Him. In uh, Psalm 116, verses 12 and 13, David asks a question that many of us might ask when we celebrate um, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ: "God, what do you want me to do in response?" I'm just so smitten by the gospel, the the fact that you would love me enough to die on the cross for my sins and graciously give me this salvation, this eternal life. And and so, what would be the proper response? That's what David asks. In Psalm 116, 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? So you and I might say, how should I treat God? How should I live the Christian life um, as a response to his goodness to me and his grace to me? And listen to what God answers David in verse 13. He doesn't say, do your best, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and just give it your all. No, God says in verse 13, take up the cup of salvation. You're like, well, I already did that. And what he means is keep doing that. Take up the cup of salvation and continue to call on the name of the Lord. So as believers who have taken up the cup of salvation, we, we've been saved. Listen, what he's saying is don't put it down. <laughs> Don't switch to something else and just trying to to do things in your own power and your own strength. No, hold that cup of salvation up, recognizing your need, continuing to express your need and continuing to ask God to fill it. That's how God wants to be worshipped. It's how we best worship God, according to that passage in Psalms. It's how we best display our dependence on God and we do it by continuing to come to him for help. So, first of all, Saving faith always recognizes a need, even in the life of a believer. That's something that we need to continue doing. Saving faith always requests help. In 25, at the end of verse 25, it says there that she had heard of Jesus, but she didn't just hear of him, and she just didn't say, well, I have a need. What did she do at the end of verse 25? She came to Jesus. She sought him out, and she fell at his feet. Recognizing a need, an important first step in coming to Christ to be saved. But uh, faith requires more. Saving faith requires more. It requires that we request uh, what he is offering. And so what we find out in John chapter 1, verse 12, says, As many as received him, uh, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. That's how we receive him. That's how we receive Christ as Savior. And in verse 25, that's exactly what this lady did. She recognized her need. She came to Jesus and fell at his feet. Isn't that such a beautiful display of her recognizing her need? And in that act, she hadn't even said a word yet. Just in the act, uh, she demonstrated herself as as hopeless and helpless, totally dependent uh, on Jesus to meet her need. Verse 26, it describes her in a little more detail. She was Greek, a Phoenician by nation. <clears throat> All that is telling us there is that she was a Gentile woman, not just by ethnicity and how she was born, but where she lived by her, her location. But look what it says. She besought, This says then she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. She besought him. <laughs> For an unbeliever to become a believer, for uh, saving faith, to move from just recognizing a need to actually requesting his help. That's what we have to do, request his help. And we confess our sins to God. We trust in what Jesus Christ did for us to save us from our sins. Um, this is how we request and we receive the salvation he offers us to, in Jesus Christ. Now, it's typically expressed in a prayer. And I think it's important to highlight this. We get, I get asked questions like this. I remember, like, I was here two months in, uh, and VBS, and um, I, they asked me to teach, like, the junior age, fourth to sixth graders on the last night and, and give them a salvation message. And we did. We shared the gospel and what it means to be saved. And then I got like all these ordination questions from fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And they were good questions. One of them said, well, what if I don't pray? What if, what if, what if I'm like, oh, I need to accept Jesus as Savior, but then I die in, in the middle of the prayer. Well, are you saved then? Yeah. I mean, it, it's the heart. The heart is, the faith is in, is in the heart. And this is what uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, right? If we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We will be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. So God knows your heart, if that would be the case. And that little question I got there, there's been a lot made uh, in the last, um, uh, I'd say, a decade or so in, in books that uh, theologians write, even in messages I've heard pastors preach. And I understand where they're coming from. They're saying, look, if, if you're relying on a card you signed, uh, on a hand you raised, uh, maybe you walk an aisle and you're relying on that act as what saves you, you're relying on the wrong thing. You need to rely on Jesus Christ and what he did for you. All right, but those things are important. I mean those are expressions. <laughs> Even baptism, when, when we follow somebody follows the Lord and believers' baptism, it's an expression of something that's already happened. So those are important features. That's why God tells us what he does there in Romans ten, nine through ten. But it's it's a faith. That, that saves us. And it's our, it's our faith in God's grace that saves us. So this is a second aspect of saving faith, requesting help after recognizing our need. And it's something that we are to continue to do even after uh, we're saved. She's not here. She, got, she escaped me. But I had the coolest thing come across my timeline today. It was a year ago, February 14th, 2020. You remember what happened a year ago? We were skiing. Yeah, Laney got saved a year ago. Amen. Um, we were up there skiing a youth group trip, and um, she recognized her need. She requested Jesus help. And this is how it works. What, I mean, what about believers? <laughs> We've already seen the truth in Psalm one sixteen that uh, we're to take up the cup of salvation and, and continue to call on the name of the Lord. But that principles throughout Scripture and so many other places as well. James five sixteen. What does that say? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It has great power. It availeth much in the King James. It has great power. Fervent prayer. Romans 12, 12 tells us we're to be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, that as Christians, we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without Ceasing. This is the lifestyle of a Christian. Uh, uh, the end of our requesting God's help did not happen when we first came to Christ, and then now we just try to do our best on our own. No, we need to stay dependent on Him. Verses twenty-seven to twenty-eight, we see this type of fervent plea from this woman to God. And in, in the passage that Marley read from Matthew, I uh, put it a little bit different. She she didn't just recognize Jesus as Lord. She does that here, but uh, it said in in the Matthew passage, son of David, she called Jesus that. So this Gentile woman not only recognized her need, um, not only recognized um, and requested help from Jesus here, but she recognized him as God's promised Messiah, his promised Savior. That's something that the Jewish religious leaders hadn't even believed in thus far. Verse 27 tells us Jesus' response to her request. Let's read it. Jesus said unto her, "Let the children first be filled, for it's not meat, or it's not right, not proper to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs." I had to do a lot of study on this one. I've actually kind of been dreading it, right? Because from first reading, it seems like Jesus being kind of rough, doesn't he? It's a little rude. And we know it's not the character of Jesus Christ. We know it's not the conduct, so that can't be the case. If we don't understand the cultural context here, and we don't, if we don't understand who Jesus is, for someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior, this, this might seem rough. This might seem like a rude response to her recognizing her need and her requesting help. I mean, doesn't Jesus want her to experience saving faith? We know He does. He desires that of everyone. He tells us that in Acts 17 30. God desires and commands all people everywhere to repent and believe. So, why, why does Jesus respond this way in verse 27? Let the children first be filled, for it's not meat, it's not right to take the children's bread and to and cast it onto the dogs. Well, we've got to identify who some of these terms are referring to. So, who, who are the children? be the children of Israel for sure I think we might could go even more specific into the disciples I do believe that was an intent is to have some teaching time with just the 12 there okay well what's more important what's the what's the elephant in the room here who are the or the dogs or the dogs I mean well, those Gentiles it is and that's what Jesus is referring to here the Greek word for dog in this passage is a little bit different than what's often found. It's kunarion, it's where we get the canine from, right? But um, it, 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 it does not have the same uh, implication as other uh, words for dogs that would communicate the typical Middle Eastern and Jewish disdain for dogs. I'm a dog person. I don't have any disdain for dogs. I love them all. Um, Middle Eastern culture, sometimes they don't like them at all. They don't like them in the house. But that's what this is referring to here. There's some that they do. The Cunarions means little dog. It means puppy. It means a house dog. A dog that would be at the house under the table. Do you feel better? Not yet. Me neither. All right, so let's keep, keep going. Why does Jesus refer? Well, we've got to understand God's ways. And here's the thing. God came first to Israel. All throughout scripture. Think about Paul. Where did Paul go? When he was on his mission trips, where's the first place he went? In every city, to the synagogue. He gave the gospel to the Jews first, every single time. Now, typically, they rejected it, and then he went to the Gentile audiences and, and preached the gospel. Romans 1.16, favorite verse of so many people, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's not the end of the verse. We stop there a lot, right? What does it say? Unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is God's design. Some of you are like Krista and I, I think. There's a few of you who are maybe not as crazy as we are about our dog. Paige, close, right, with Cain. Because you, know, you hear me talking about Moses all the time, right? He's our fur baby. Some of you got fur babies, Think of them as members of the family almost. We do. We take them on vacation. Get them. If we go out to eat through the drive-thru, he gets something, right? But would it be proper for any of you who have fur babies like us inside house dogs? Would it be proper for any of you um, to take a plate that you had made for your wife or your husband or your kids and before you set it before them, you put it down for the dog? I mean, no, no of course not. Now, if Krista played to me something nasty like cauliflower, it might rapidly find its way down there. It does, right? Sometimes. But um, I mean, it's, it's not proper. Even though we consider them as almost like family members, I mean, wouldn't it be the right thing to do? And please notice in verse 27, Jesus says this. We can skip it if we're not careful. Let the children be filled what? First. So if there's a first, what is there? There's a second. There's a second. Jesus came to save us from our sins, but by God's design and in God's perfect will, He came to Bethlehem. God could have sent Him anywhere. Could have sent Him to Dublin. Little baby born in Dublin. God chose Him. Sent Him to Bethlehem. Right? Where did Jesus minister first? Could have ministered anywhere. Why not the big city of Jerusalem? That'd be a great place to have a church plant, start a ministry. You know, He has a minister in Galilee. And he commanded us disciples, even you and I, where we get our our Dublin First Baptist Church missions here, there, and everywhere. What does he say in Acts? Well, begin in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria. Does the world not matter? No, the world matters, but there's a system here. There's a design here by God. Yes, the gospel is for the whole world, is for everyone. God designed it that way, but he designed it to be somewhere first, that's all Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not being rude. It's not his character. It's, it's never in his conduct uh, to someone in need who is coming to him for help. Uh, it is possible, I wonder, in this interaction, if, if maybe Jesus was testing the genuineness of, of her faith. I mean, is she really serious? Does she really want uh, salvation? Or, or is this kind of like, well, let's see if this works type of thing? Try this out, mindset. We find out she wasn't in verse 28 because what is her response to Jesus? Um, the children need to be fed first. What does she say in verse 28? Yes, Lord, you're right. That's true. But the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. You see, she's not going to let go of Jesus here. She says, look, if all, I, if all I can get is crumbs, I'll take those powerful crumbs, Jesus. But here's, here's the thing, what she's going to find out and what we need to know this morning is when you come to Jesus, you don't ever get crumbs. You don't ever get crumbs. I mean, what does he say in Psalm 23 he does for his people? He prepares a, a banquet before them in the presence of their enemies. That's what he does in response uh, to her faith. A fervent, never let go faith. Back in Matthew's account that Marley read earlier, uh, he, his response to her uh, is a little bit different. He says, oh woman, O woman, great is your faith, be it unto thee as thou wilt. Here in uh, verse 29, he says, for this saying, because you showed this faith, and and you said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs, Jesus. He says, for this saying, uh, go your way. The devil has gone out, and daughter uh, has gone out of thy daughter. Uh, Look, Christian, when you come to Jesus, when you recognize your need, when you request his help, he will answer you. We have God who answers prayers. That's what he does. If you have the same fervency in prayer that he commands and that his power demands, he's going to answer you. I know we've got parents in our own church family who've got kids who are sick, seriously sick. It's hard. I've never experienced it. I experienced it from the other way with chronic illnesses and watching what my parents went through. You've got loved ones. I know many of you have loved ones are struggling with physical afflictions. You wonder, can God do it? I know probably some of us who have kids or loved ones who are struggling with a sin sickness, just as bad or maybe more difficult to endure. Do you truly believe that God loves you just like this woman did? Do you, do you truly believe that God wants to meet your need and he's powerful enough to do so is your dependent faith you saying i have a need and coming to jesus for help is that displayed in prayer i mean will you take hope from what she did here and request his help to to beseech him fervently like not let him go billy graham said heaven heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask and not that a sad thing it's not a bother to him <laughs> It's what he loves to do, to meet the needs of his children. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. What peace we often forfeit. It's held out there for us. He wants to give it to us, but we forfeit it. What needless pain we bear. I don't like pain. Found that out this week. Been reminded of it. So why bear it needlessly? All because we don't carry everything to him in prayer, and fervent prayer, and a never-let-grow prayer like she does. I mean, God wants us to know that total transformation is possible. That's the message of every single miracle that Jesus did. This is the message here in verse 30. When she gets to her house, she finds the devil gone out. Jesus had done it. I don't care what your need is. He can make it if you'll admit you have one, if you'll ask him for help. Maybe you have. And you're like, well, okay, great, Jason. I have. I'm on that. Well, keep on, <laughs> keep on doing it, just like she did. Don't let go till till Jesus does it. Is it that important to you? It was for her. Is that important to see a life changed? Is that important to see God glorified? I mean, this is what He wants to do. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "Ask, and you'll receive. <laughs> Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you." You parents, you know how to treat your children, right? You know how to give good gifts. Well, how much more your heavenly father wants to give good things to those who ask him? Finally, saving faith always responds in obedience. We see it in verse 30. So she came to her house and she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Uh, And unbelievers, they need to recognize their need. They need a request to receive Christ as Savior. But once they've done that, there's always one thing that, that happens. There's something that always happens. Saving faith always responds in obedience. Every time Jesus heals someone, we see this occur. Every time Jesus intervenes and he totally transforms a life, there, there's a made whole or there's a, a go and sin no more. I think my favorite, uh, my favorite miracle is the 10 lepers that come to Jesus shouting, from a distance Jesus son of David have mercy on us please heal us they recognized their need didn't they and they requested his help what did Jesus tell them to do go show yourselves to the priest well that would be insane to do if you didn't have faith that he could heal you they're getting a lot of trouble for doing that they're supposed to be outside the city but it says as they went as they went they were healed they weren't healed waiting there When are you going to do Jesus going to lay your hand on me you are going to make some mud? Do that thing again? No, so Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. Save Saving faith always responds in obedience. Look at what this woman did here. She didn't say in verse 30, when you mean, go home. Depart in peace. Your, your daughter's made whole." No, you got to come to my house, Jesus. Lay your hands on her. Do that thing. Maybe what you did with a guy, in maniac of Gadara, cast him out, send him into pigs. Do, what, did, what did Jesus tell her to do? Go. It's done. It's done. She didn't say that. We have to understand, God doesn't ever get stuck in a rut just because he worked one way in your life and fix that and meet that need. He might work in a... Don't well, let him do it. Let him do it his way. Watch. Give him praise. Celebrate how he does it. He doesn't ever get stuck in a rut. No, he didn't go to the daughter. And this should give us a lot of hope and encouragement. And he didn't even vocally command the demon to come out. What did he do? He just said, It's done. That's how powerful your God is. He can just say it's done. He doesn't have to do it the way you think he needs to do it. He can just do it. For the unbeliever who is becoming a believer, the first step of obedience is to come to Christ, to confess your sins to Christ, to confess him as your Lord. And if he is, he's going to give you a new heart. He's going to put his spirit in you. And he's going to create in you a desire to obey, a will to obey. He's going to work it in you. Saving faith always responds in obedience, but it's the same for believers. When this lady got home, that demon had obeyed Christ. I mean, she found her daughter uh, made whole with a new life, all because she recognized her name, and she requested Jesus' help, and she responded in obedience. And that's what he's designed for your life too. Christian, he wants you to respond in obedience. Thank God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace, and it's through faith. as not of myself. It's the work of God. But don't forget verse 10. What is it for? It's for good works. You are his workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. As Romans 8, 29 tells us, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what you've been predestined to, to be just like Jesus, to obey Jesus and how you think and what you say and what you do. Saving faith always responds in obedience in the life of a believer. It's evidence that there's been a change, there's been a total transformation, there's been a made whole. So this morning, there might be one here, might be one watching, has never come to Christ, never even recognized their need till this morning. If so, maybe he's moving on you to request his help, receive him as your savior. If that's the case, confess your sin. And we're gonna have a time of invitation here in a moment. Confess your sin to him. Uh, You don't have to wait for that time of invitation. Do it right now, wherever you are. At home, here, quietly, express to the Lord in a a prayer that you trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross to save you from your sins and give you new life, give you eternal life. Christian, you who have already done this, he met your greatest need, didn't he? Don't stop being needy. I know we don't like to be needy. It's not cool, it's not macho, might not even be American. Is Christian. Don't stop being needy. As long as you live, recognize your need and request his help and respond in obedience. God maybe has sent something into your life or into the life of somebody you love, some negative, difficult, painful circumstance to remind you of your neediness. He does it because he loves you. He does it out of grace. Because he wants you to remember that all your strength and all your joy and all your happiness comes from him. If that's the case, look, stop trying to handle it on your own. You can't. (laughs) Take it to him. That's what he wants you to do fervently. Do it like she did. Don't let him go in prayer. Take it to him for an answer. Display and declare your dependence on him. You know, that might be the response of obedience that he's waiting on so that you can experience that breakthrough, that miracle, that healing, that being made whole right now wherever you are as Tommy comes uh, I just encourage you stop turn it over to him continue casting that care on him he cares for you that's a promise we can be sure of from scripture he took care of our greatest most monumental need Christian Well, he can he wants to do the same for whatever else you're facing if you'll recognize it if you'll request his help and if you'll respond in obedience